Welcome to Chef on a Mission Radio. I am Chef Marcus Giuliano, episode number 69. Number 69, we're going to talk about beef today. We're going to talk about grass-fed beef, pasture beef, feedlot beef, grain-fed beef. We're going to talk about the confusion of all of that beef. Even chefs, the experts, are confused when it comes to describing marketing, selling, listing the beef that's on their menu. So we'll break that down. First off, this podcast, this show is possible because um, I own a Roman Time Bistro in Ellenville, New York, uh, the longest running green certified restaurant in upstate New York, outside of New York City, certified from the Green Restaurant Association back, I think in 2007, we got that certification, 2008, the latest. Uh, we've been open since 2003. We're 90 miles north of New York City, here in where the Catskills meet the Hudson Valley. Uh, Aroma Time, T H Y M E Bistro.com. Check us out if you're ever up here. Join us for a meal. We'd love to have you. We are extremely farm to table, real food, great bar. And because we have a great bar, we also have VIP Winery Vacations, VIP Winery Vacations.com, where we take you to our friends' vineyards in Italy, Spain, New York, and now Valle de Guadalupe uh, in Mexico and Baja, California. Baja California is an amazing winery region. Uh, when you go outside of Ensenada into the valleys there, there's a couple different valleys, but Valle de Guadalupe is the most famous valley there that is has all the best resorts, the best food, the best wine. The wineries are amazing. The hospitality is incredible. Go to vipwinerivacations.com and check out our group trips. Uh, we do group trips that I am on personally. I lead you through. I take you to my, my friend's vineyards and all these amazing wine regions. And here in the Hudson Valley, we have a little bit of a different business model. We do your car, our drivers. So if you're coming up from New York City or if you're here in the Hudson Valley and you need to get out and uh, responsibly, but you don't need a limo or a big bus or van, we send a fully insured driver to your car. We drive your car. Uh, at your leisure. It's better than an Uber. It's uh, much more affordable than a limo. And it's a lot safer and a lot more affordable than a DWI. So um, go ahead, log on to vipwineryvacations.com and check that out, everything we offer there. Now, on to the beef. Where's the beef? The Wendy's commercial, where's the beef? Um, very famous slogan from the 80s, right? So, um, all right. Beef. Chefs love to use the term grass-fed beef. Um, stores love to use the term grass-fed beef. Companies that don't sell grass-fed beef love to put on their website pictures of beef cattle out on grass pastures because that's the allure of the farm, right? It's the allure of the farm. They love, just love to do that. And um, it can be very misleading. There's a fantastic book, by the way. Um, one of my first books, Introduction to This, by Joe Robinson. 
if you're listening, you can't see. If you're watching, you can see on my screen why grass-fed is best. And you can see this book is a pretty old book. It's got stains on it. Um, I've literally had this book since the mid-90s, uh, late 90s, why grass-fed is best. Really short book, um, 125 pages. And um, actually just 100 pages in all of her references. So farms and all that kind of stuff, directory of pasture intense farms. So really some great information here that Joe Robinson in really short read. Um, this was very popular at one point in the late 90s, early 2000s. People would give this book away. I bought several copies too to give people away because I wanted to educate people on the true benefits of grass-fed beef. So folks, let's talk about what grass-fed beef truly is when in the definition sense. Grass-fed beef is one of those where it's, it's really simple cut and dry. Grass-fed beef only, this is according to the USDA reg, uh, definition and to the American grass-fed definition, only eats grass and forages out in the, right, out in the fields, right? Can only eat grass uh, out in the fields. That's it. They can put hay out, which is fine because um, that's grass, but they cannot give the animal greens or anything else. The first day that you feed an animal grain it is no longer allowed by those definitions from the USDA and from the American Grass-Fed Association, which I've done work for. I've committed, contributed recipes on their website and done some stuff for them and they're great people out in Colorado. You can no longer market that beef as grass-fed. Now, here's what a lot of farms do. A lot of farms will, well, let's back up for that. There's almost seven stages in the beef process. It gets very confusing. So the person who calves the cattle, who calves the cows, right? The, the, the calves means they're the ones who have the females. They get them pregnant and they give birth on their ranch. Those are calvers. Calvers, and I had, I, I had the pleasure of becoming really good friends with uh, somebody in Colorado, Jay, who uh, I saw this happen firsthand. Um, he was a calver. And his, uh, his farm was mentioned in Fast Food Nation. In fact, his brother was one who hung himself on the farm because there was no hope for the farm. And that changed after us chefs got together and, and um, showed Colorado Springs how much we wanted real food. And uh, that situation changed on his farm. But too bad his brother wasn't there to see it. So Jay was a kaffir. And Jay explained the whole rundown to me because I knew Jay and I knew Frank, who was the end marketing guy of beef. So Jay would calve the cow, the cattle, the calves, and then you, you keep them with their mother for whatever, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, however long it is, they'd stay with the mother. Um, but out on grass, strictly grass, you don't give them grain because you want to put as little cost into the product as possible. Then you have a mid feeder. The mid feeder comes in and buys them at auction or buys them from their friend down the street and puts them all on grass pastures. And again, they don't want to give them grain because they don't want any, any, extra expenses then you have the mid feeder for the mid feeder then the animals go to auction again or to a friend or to through whatever contracts they have and at that point then they go to somebody who's going to put them in a consolidated feedlot which means in the cattle at 12 months 13 months nine months whatever they go to a feedlot where there's typically no grass and they start pumping it with grains now the cattle gain a lot of weight now from the feedlot, then they get sold off to the processor. 
a processor processes them, and sometimes a processor will brand them their own brand, or sometimes a feedlot gets, puts their own label and sticker on them as their own. So you see how cattle goes through several different steps. Very rarely do you have, very rarely do you have, and it, it exists on small farms and and little, and family farms and, and certain certain business models where they're calving, they're finishing, they're mid feeding, they're finishing. They're taking it, then they have to take it to the processing plant because they don't own the processing plant. They take it to the processing plant, but then they bring the beef back to the farm and say, okay, this is truly our beef. And this is the benefit of buying local beef. Wherever you're ever at in the cold country, this is the massive benefit of buying local beef because it's in control of that farm. They're just not buying random cattle and the cattle's not mixing, mixing herds and things like that. And this is where diseases start happening as soon as you start mixing all these different herds and putting into a consolidated feedlot where the animals are not on grass their immune system isn't good this is where you have to pump in antibiotics this is where you pump in hormones this is where you pump in all the terrible stuff and you can literally feed them cardboard boxes and recycle chicken manures protein and these animals will eat it because that's what's in front of them and there is no grass it's a very unfortunate situation and most beef that you'd buy in the grocery store is indeed raised with this business model and they will go back and show you the cattle with pictures on these green pastures, because that's the allure of the farm. Well, those animals experience that <laughs> earlier, earlier in their life, the allure of the farm, and they've been off that farm for now the second half of their life, and it's very unfortunate. Now, some farms will keep the animals on grass pastures until they go to process the animals. And because they're on grass pastures, one would think, oh, wow, they're on grass, they're eating grass. A lot of these grass pasture farms will still take grain out once or twice a day, or the cattle will come into the, to the barn, or into, into the little corral, wherever, and they will eat grain and then go back on grass and eat grass. So they're eating a combination of grass and grain. And according to the definitions, the uh, USDA and American Grass Fed Association, those are no longer legally allowed to be called grass fed. But again, the website of the farm, um, the grocery store, whoever puts pictures of the cattle on grass farm on a grass pasture. So when you see the term pasture raised, you need to be extremely, extremely hesitant and say is pasture raised mean grass fed. And a lot of chefs will not know the difference. A lot of chefs will argue with you and you can actually show them and say, here's the definition, USDA, here's the American grass fed definition. Here's the, and they will argue with you. And I've had this conversation with many chefs, even celebrity chefs like Tom Colicchio. Um, and they just don't understand that this is, you know, you have to be truth in menu. You have to be truthful. The benefits of grass-fed, now the Joe Robinson's book here, the grass, why grass-fed is best, the surprising benefits of grass-fed meat, eggs, and dairy products. Folks, the benefits are, the nutritional differences are astonishing from grass-fed to grain-fed. Um, heart healthy fats, omega-3s are five times the amount. She graphs everything out here in charts. So the day an animal starts eating grain, the whole nutritional complexity values of, of that actually totally change. Um, Grass-fed bison versus grain-fed bison. And if you're looking through here, um, you can see the difference. Look at the chart if you're, if you're watching this. That's the chart difference of just bison alone. And people think, oh, bison's so healthy for you. Well, they grain feed bison, folks. They put bison in feedlots. They keep bison out on the um, out on the range, and they still give them grain. To get a truly 100% grass-fed, grass-finished product um, is tricky. So you really need to, somebody like me, when I put grass-fed on a menu, I go above and beyond and say grass-fed, grass-finished. And 
some chefs like to say grass-fed, grain-finished. And again, they're using that grass-fed term in a very loose context. And then all of a sudden the staff will think, oh, we have grass. Then you call a, a place and we're like, hey, do you have grass-fed burgers? And the person answering the phone is like, well, we have grass-fed, grain-finished. Yeah, our burgers are grass-fed, but they're not going to tell you they're grain-finished. And for people who are watching what they're eating, the nutrition, and want to eat a much superior product, it's extremely misleading, unethical, uh, not moral, and is um, truth in menu. And it's, it's, it's a criminal act to lie to people about the food that they're getting. You as a consumer have the right to know how your food is cooked, what's going in it, um, um, the origin of your food. When us chefs buy food from a distributor, it says broccoli, Mexico, um, cauliflower, USA, um, asparagus, France, garlic, China. It says all that on the actual invoices that we're buying. They, they have to tell us, our distributors, where things are coming from. They have to be transparent. So you as a consumer are also able to be have that, have that transparency um, benefit. And a lot of restaurants will not tell you. They think you're conducting an investigation once you start asking questions like, is your beef truly grass-fed? Is it, does it ever eat grain? Or is that truly wild salmon? Or where was the wild salmon caught? Or what species is that wild salmon? Or where is that they think you're conducting an investigation and a lot of them know that they're not being truthful. A lot of them know they're not being truthful and they will just write things. And this was an argument I had going back and forth with Tom Clicchio and his staff for months. I had this argument going back and forth with them and they swore the guy in the kitchen swore that he was a butcher and he was using the same brand that um, was very popular across America. And I called the brand in Oregon or Idaho, wherever they're from. And I said, listen, do you have a grass-fed line? They're like, no, we don't. I'm like, well, Tom Clique, has your, oh yeah, Tom, he buys all, a lot of beef from us. And it's like, well, he had you listen to his grass-fed section of his, and they go, no, that's wrong. We do not sell grass-fed beef. That is totally wrong. Tom Clique is wrong. And I called him, I called, I said, hey, you just, you can't mislead people like that. People trust you. You're charging a lot of money for your product. And somebody needs to hold you accountable for it. And nobody's holding you accountable. And I went to the American Grass-Fed Association back in 2009. And they're like, Marcus, you know, if we spent our time enforcing this, we'd have a full-time staff of people who just went around and enforced. You know, we'd have dozens of people in every state because it's a very, very, very abused. And we don't have a budget for that, nor is that our place to be enforcing it. You as a consumer have to speak up. You as a consumer have to put that in writing on a review. You have to put that in writing and make a video, do something hold them accountable. And once I made a public video after going back and forth of the phone with them and saying, listen, and them arguing with me, once I made a public video on YouTube, um, they changed their tune very, very quickly. And Tom Clico reached out to me personally and said, I can't believe you disrespected me. And I said, I can't believe you disrespected your guests for the last six months. And I've been trying to tell your manager and this, and they wouldn't believe me. I can't do you disrespected your guests like that. This is unethical. This is, this is a crime. Uh, truth in menu. And he didn't want to hear that. And he got very upset at me. I'm done messing around with you. You're not messing around with me. You should be done lying to your guesses, which you should be done with. And they actually did change the menu at that point and issued an apology um, and thanked me for catching a typo on their menu. And then they eventually blamed um, the people who wrote their menus that their menu was wrong and this and that. But I've caught Wolfgang Puck uh, it, 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 in China Grill. Um, it goes on and on and on with all these places. And it doesn't matter if it's a it's a restaurant around the corner, small operation or a big operation that has very professionally trained people in there. You have to be wary about what you're getting. and You have to ask questions that you're right. So back to the back to the beefs. So there's a company called Pineland Beef. 
started out as a great, great company. Um, one farm in Vermont, I think, Pineland, very popular here because they now have 500 farms that contribute beef to their program. And a lot of restaurants that serve Pineland farms thinks, think that it's an actual one farm, grass-fed beef, uh, the real deal. Um, they are hormone-free, they are antibiotic-free. But if you look through their, through their website, you'll see a link that says, raise beef for us, something like that. Raise beef for us, contribute to our program. Um, be one of our certified ranchers, right? So you can click that link and it'll tell you if you want to raise beef for Pineland Farms, you have to have a certain breed of cattle. Angus has to be 50% black or more. But I'm just saying, just saying what, what I, I haven't been on that site in a while. But this is, for instance, what will happen. You have to have raised Angus cattle. They have to be on um, uh, grass pastures for, 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 the, for you know, their, their um, while you have them, this, this, this. Then we will take them when they're 12 months old we will put them into our consolidated feedlot and finish them out. And this is exactly what Pineland does. And I've gotten many arguments with people over, well, Pineland's grass-fed and it's from Vermont. And when you look at the USDA codes on there, the processing plant codes on the boxes that come in, you can match that code up and go online and search, well, where was this processed? And if the farms in Vermont, why is it being processed in Maryland? Why is it being processed in Illinois? Why is it being processed wherever? So it turns out Pineland, which is a great company when you're coming to larger beef production, ranges from Vermont to New England all the way to the Mississippi. They have farms because you, if you're a cattle rancher, you can go on there and start contributing beef as long as you meet their specifications. But their last specification is it goes into their consolidated feedlot and then goes to their processor with their brand on it. So this is just like Purdue chickens. We all know Purdue doesn't own the chicken farms, they just contract them out. So a lot of these big, big companies or these label brands are actually labels. And then chefs love to say, oh, Pineland beef from Vermont. I went to the farm once. You went to the original farm, which is sort of their like their museum, sort of like Angry Orchard is here in the Hudson Valley. Angry Orchard is a, is their flagship showroom, but they're really buying apple concentrate from wherever, from France or from China. They're very tight-lipped about that. Um, and then they're making it in Cincinnati. They're making it wherever across the country. If you think that if you live here in the Hudson Valley and you think that all of the, the angry orchard cider that's served in 50 States and internationally is made right here in Walden, New York, that's not happening. That's just their showroom folks. That's where they do small pilot batches. That's where they have you come in and, and, uh, and, and give you the introduction to cider, but that's not where they're making cider to fulfill the world's demand or international market and, and national market for cider. It's coming out of big, big production facilities across the country. So that's how sort of how beef works. But then they paint this picture that, oh, it's some small family farm and the chef buys it and the chef tells you that. And you literally need somebody like me chef on a mission to tell you, hey, I've done all the work for years and this is the situation with this. This is the absolute situation with this. And um, so, yeah, so that's the difference. Grass-fed, if the term grass-fed is used, it must be 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Grass, as soon as we move to grass-fed, as soon as they introduce grain into the animal's diet, the animal can no longer be called beef, can no longer be called grass-fed. It starts changing the nutritional structure of the beef, the omega threes drop, the sixes and nines go up. Um, we all know that omega three heart, are heart healthy fat, uh, heart healthy uh, um, uh, fatty acids for our heart. Extremely important in, in our in our nutrient profile. The benefits of grass fed are through the roof, based upon 
grain fed beef. Um, so that's the difference. So if you're looking at nutritional values and, and, and that now grass fed beef does have a little bit of a different flavor. Uh, it can have a little bit of a different flavor, maybe a touch more gamey, uh, just because the animals are eating their natural diet, just like, just like venison deer are out there eating their natural diet and they're out in the wild eating grasses and foraging natural. So they can have a slightly different flavor. Uh, are they just as tender? Uh, or are they as tender? This is what people say, I don't like grass-fed because it's not as tender. There's some grass-fed that is extremely tender. It's all based upon the, the heart, the, the, the um, type of cattle, the breed. And it's also based on the, on the pH of the animal. So if the animal goes under, doesn't go under any stress, it's low stress, um, the pH is 5.6, 5.7, the, ultimate, uh, uh, the ideal pH for beef then it's going to be a very tender piece of beef. So it doesn't really have nothing, not much to do with, is it grass fed or is it grain fed? Adding grain and fattening up a cow to create an, an insane amount of fat in the beef, that will, that will tender it up and make it a little bit juicier. Absolutely. But it's not the deciding factor. And we've been sold as the deciding factor of beef has to be prime. It has to be choice. It has to be highly marbled for you to enjoy that piece of beef. And that's not the case at all, not the case whatsoever. Uh, so I did have the privilege of spending a lot of time with Dale Lasseter. And for a while here in Colorado, we were buying beef from Lasseter. He would ship it in from Colorado. I had to ship it in on a pallet. It'd be frozen. We'd have to make a massive cold storage for it. It was, um, it was a big production. But Dale Lasseter, if you've ever read Fast Food Nation, he has the last chapters dedicated to him in Fast Food Nation where now there's hope. First chapter is everything that's wrong with, with everything. The last chapter is now there's hope. Dale Lasseter has a 90,000 acre farm in Simla, Colorado. And um, it goes for like 20 some miles on the road. Um, you're driving down, there's like 20 miles of, of just nothing but Dale Lasseter's farm. Dale Lasseter got an award from Slow Food. Uh, everything is 100% grass fed on his, on his, on his ranch. Uh, he has a foundation herd of Beefmaster cattle. They moved from Texas to Colorado, I think back in the 20s, back in the 1880s was when they started doing cattle, his family. And he is um, one of the most iconic grass-fed producers in the country, uh, right next to Joel Salatin. Joel Salatin is very well known. He's in Virginia. Joel Salatin um, will tell you he's not raising beef, he's raising grass. And everything else happens naturally if you raise grass properly. So look up Joel Salatin, look up um, Dale Lasseter, Lasseter Beef in Colorado. Those two are doing the right thing. They have been doing the right thing for many, many years. Plus there's a lot of other farms out there that do the right thing here locally in the Hudson Valley. There's a lot of high quality grass-fed producers that you can find uh, really some really high quality stuff. But again, if you're a restaurant and you go to buy this stuff, there's not, not that much around, which is why restaurants will tend to go, which is why they do go, to a constant supply where they can buy the same ribeyes every single week from a big producer because they don't want to have to think about changing their menu, think about changing their menu. And a lot of guests want to go to the same place too. Us consumers are guilty of going to the same place and saying, oh, I want that ribeye again. Oh, I want that hanger steak again. Oh, I want this again. Oh, I want that again. And why don't you have it? I'm going to go somewhere else and get it. So it's a, round, a roundabout. But grass-fed folks, don't be afraid to ask if you're out at a restaurant, is it truly grass-fed, is it grain-finished, is it pasture-raised? Know your terminology and know your rights as a consumer. You are allowed to know what's in the food. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Check out our websites, Aroma Time Bistro, T-H-Y-M-E, Bistro, 
winerycom uh, VIPWineryVacations.com, VIPWineryVacations.com. Come on a wine tour with us. Come eat with us. And if you are in business, uh, especially if you own a business, um, those uh, I have two great books, 50 Mistakes That Business Owners Make, Top Reasons, and Top Reasons Your Business, and Nobody Knows Your Business Exists. And our new book, my new book, uh, Every Celeste Eats, Surviving a Pandemic, Recipes for Surviving a Pandemic and Beyond, will be out very, very soon. You can go to 50mistakes.com for that, 50mistakes.com for that. And that is um, my business where I help other business owners, other restaurant owners specifically, succeed in this very challenging restaurant industry thanks for tuning in uh and please share this uh comment like it and we'll see you soon